I want to read to you out of John chapter 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were what? Urging, right? They were urging Jesus by helping, sorry, urging Jesus. And the rabbi says, that, oh, sorry, I've got to slow down. Jesus, help me. I was already on to something. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. They were telling Jesus to eat something. But Jesus replied in an amazing kind of like Jesus way. He says, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And the disciples are like, oh, well, would you maybe tell us about that? Right? They're kind of curious at this point because Jesus has said, I have this food that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? Because they were out actually looking for food. Uh, and the disciples asked him, what's going on? Okay, so, so that's kind of the scene. You see the disciples interacting with Jesus, and they're urging him to eat food. And, the, and if you know the story, which you may or may not, I'll tell it to you. After this kind of interaction, Jesus begins to explain to them that the food that he has is different than just eating like Taco Bell. Like it's not just food. That he has a food that's different. And part of what this kind of little series that we're in is about is what does it look like to recognize that there are things in this world that are good, that we all do, and they're good. Like, they're not bad things, but they can become distractions to the better. They can become distractions to the things that we need to be on mission as a, as a people. And so what Jesus is kind of uh, uh, juxtaposing for us is that there is, there is this need for food. You know, we need to eat. But he's also saying, hey, don't let that get in the way of the mission. Because he tells his disciples that I'm on mission, guys. And you need to understand that I have a mission to accomplish. And I'm not going to get distracted with just the physical side of life. Okay? And that is what Jesus begins to explain to his disciples. And this whole series that I'm in right now called Hit the Reset Button is trying to get us focused again on the mission that Jesus has for each one of us. So important that we see this. And so here I want to share with you what the mission of this church is. It's probably similar to most churches, uh, but, 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 this, but it's very clear, and it's this. Our mission is to see people transformed by Jesus. Like we want to see people literally transformed by Jesus, by knowing God, by finding freedom, by discovering purpose, and by making a difference. And so these four qualities, these four values get repeated in our lives over and over and over again. And as we do what happens individually and collectively, we are able to accomplish the mission that Jesus has put us on. Makes sense. But isn't it true we get distracted? Isn't it true we get concerned about what we're going to eat and where we're going to live and where we're going to go? Isn't it true? Come on. It happens. And so my heart for us, as we kind of walk through this series, is that we would get focused again. That we get our mind back on the things that really matter. And that you wouldn't feel guilt over good. Because I'm not trying to make you feel bad about having a hamburger. Right? I'm not trying to make you feel bad about, about pursuing something in your career. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about anything like that. I'm just simply trying to get you to see if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you have a mission that is greater than the mission that you've laid out potentially for your life. And you're always going to be better when you trade in your mission for God's mission. 
Let me say it differently. You're always going to be better when you trade in your mission for your role in God's mission. That, that is critical for us to see. And so today I want to spend just a little time talking about knowing God. Because see, if we're going to be transformed to the image of God, if we're going to be transformed by Jesus, we've got to know God. Because you can't transform yourself. Like, I know that some of us have been trying for a really long time, right? You've been working really hard to make yourself better. And you've gotten incrementally better. Like, I mean, seriously, like you're, you're not like you used to be. But the thing that I found that none of us can seem to fix is the sin that so easily entangles us. And now I know some of us have conquered it on the outside, but have we conquered it on the inside? You see, it's not easy to do. And if all of us are honest and all of us would just be open and admit it, we need a Savior. We need somebody to fix this for us. And I just thank God that he sent his son to help us fix this problem. And so that's what we're going to spend a little time talking about is, is knowing God. At, at age 14, I came into a relationship with Jesus that radically transformed my life, Okay. Now, some of you may have had that experience. Now, I grew up going to church. Any of you grow up going to church? Some of you? It's okay. You can raise your hand. Nobody's going to point you out or look at you. Anybody have that experience of going to church and being like, I don't get it. Or maybe, I just don't understand. Or, oh, I don't want to be here. I hate this. Yeah? I mean, you've... And, and so maybe you were raised in the church... Okay, maybe you were raised around the things of God, but it never really clicked. It never really kind of registered why you were really doing it, you know? And what happened to me at 14 years of age is that I had been going to church here and there. We were church people, but I didn't have a relationship or an encounter with God. And what was so amazing in this little African-American church, a missionary Baptist church, <laughs> My mom and I were the only white people in this church. I'm sitting in the pew and I'm listening to the preacher. And all of a sudden, God starts to stir in me. Like there's something about, I don't even know how to explain it. You know what I mean? Because it's experiential. It's hard to explain. But in that moment, I, I sense this kind of wooing of the father. It's, and that's kind of an interesting way to say it. It's like he was, he was inviting me home. He was saying, son, I love you. Come home. And now some of you may have had that experience in your life. You may not have. But what I want to talk to you today about is that God has no interest in just you knowing about him. He has his complete interest is having a relationship with you. And I just want to say to you today, if that's not your story, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I really am. Because the experience I had at 14 is the same experience you can have. That our God is active and alive. He is not dead. And he interacts with his people. And I guarantee you he wants to interact with you. You know why? Because he loves you. If you were a father and you had sons and daughters, would you not want to interact with them? If you were a perfect loving father. Yes. You would. And that's the God that we worship. That's the God that we serve. And I, I so much want you to, to grab hold of this today. I want to share something with you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Listen to this. 
When someone becomes a Christian, so if you're here in the room and you've become a Christian, this is for you. If you're not a Christian today, I want you to see what you can have, okay? If you're not a Christian today, I want to see what you can have. But listen to this. When someone becomes a Christian, he or she becomes a brand new person. Where? Inside. Okay, that, that, I think that's important. You become a brand new person inside. Everybody say Inside. Okay, so we become a brand new person inside. He is not or she is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Now, guys, I have no idea how God does that. I really don't. I have no idea how, how God reaches in to my reality and creates something new out of what it was old. But I know he does it. I know he does it. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives. I've seen people break free in their lives because Jesus did this for them. But I wanted you to see the fact that it says inside. I think sometimes in our life we try to fix everything on the outside. Yes? We try to fix everything on the inside. And religion is all about doing, doing, and doing in order to get God to love us. But see, it's not about religion. It's not about getting cleaned up and putting the makeup on so everybody thinks that you're holy. It's about realizing. It's about realizing something. That the only person that can actually do the work has to do the work on the inside. And what happens is when the work on the inside is done, the outside takes care of itself. See what I'm getting at? It starts to take care of itself. And so it's not so much about do this, do this, do this. It's I want to do what God tells me to do because of what he's done inside me. So it's no longer about working harder to get God to love you. It's about abiding more in the Father that already does. Oh, God, if you would get this revelation today. If you would get this revelation, it would radically change your life. And so just for a few minutes, I want to talk about hitting this reset button, but specifically around knowing God and becoming new. Becoming new. Because, see, knowing God leads to New. Knowing God leads to new. And I want to talk about two ways, two ways out of that big idea that it becomes about being new. All right? The first is experiencing, listen to this, experiencing the first new. Because you got to experience the first new. Now, there's a second new, but we're going to talk about the first new for just a moment. But it's so important that you get this because I know so many people that know God, but they have no experience with God. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like how you can know something, but you just don't have those encounters. Like you can know something intellectually and not necessarily have it happen in your life, right? You can know about something, but not necessarily experience it in your life. And I'm not talking about just knowing something in your brain. I'm not just talking about knowing about God or knowing all the right answers about Jesus on the trivia game. I'm talking about really knowing him, let me say this, intimately. Now, I know for some of us that word's a little, eh, I don't know about that with God, I'm out. But if you have a friend, let's say you have a best friend, okay, same-sex best friend, okay, and you would maybe say, I would think, that you know that person, okay? You might even say you know them intimately, because you know their life. 
You know their secrets. You know their things. You know, you know their hang-ups. You know all those things. And that's not weird, is it? That's not creepy or weird. No, it's not at all. And so if you're here today and that word intimate with God freaks you out, I just want you to see that, that, that you can have an intimate relationship with God and it not be creepy. It's not weird. You can have that kind of relationship with God and it can be transformative in your life and not necessarily be something that you don't want or it kind of freaks you out or it makes you uncomfortable. And I'd also say this, if it does make you uncomfortable, maybe there's some work that God wants to do. Maybe there's some work that God wants to do. But here's the first new that I think we have to understand. The first new is this kind of fancy word. And i got to give you a fancy word. All right? You with me? It's a fancy word. It's worth at least $5,000. Here it is. It's a theological word, and the word is justification. Justification. Now, if you use that word out in the world, it may have a particular meaning. But in the church, it has a very specific theological meaning about God and what God is doing and the activity he has with his people. And so I want to read it to you, okay, so that you understand what we're talking about. Justification. The act of God in bringing sinners into a new covenant relationship with himself through the forgiveness of sins. Does that make sense? It's an act of God. Let me, let me make this clear. You heard it maybe in that that song that we sang. I love that. I love it when, when, when Matt and Christy, our worship uh, directors, when they nail it with a song that is speaking out of the scriptures. I just love that. But, 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 but what's happening here is that God acted on our behalf. Like you didn't act on God's behalf. Like even when you accept his grace in your life, the thing you have to recognize is that he made the first move. The fact that you're even able to accept his grace is that he made the first move. He was already walking towards you. He was already moving towards you. And so when you say yes to God, he's already been active. He's already been wooing you home. He's already saying, come on, son. Come on, daughter. You get back to me because when you do, you'll find justification. You'll find what you're looking for. You'll find forgiveness of sins. This definition goes on and says, it is a declarative act of God. I love that. It is a declarative act of God by which he, listen, he establishes a person's righteousness. The Bible says that none of us are righteous. So how in the world do I become righteous? Because God makes me righteous. How? Through what Jesus did for me. And I'm going to explain that as we go. This is important because some of us in the room have never experienced this first new. You've never experienced the justification. You've never experienced the first new. He goes on to say that he establishes a person as righteous, that is, in right and true relationship with him. Oh, I want to be in right and true relationship with God. The doctrine of justification, listen to this, by faith. By faith. Not by anything we do. By faith. By faith. Everybody say, by faith. By faith alone affirms the, the thoroughgoing, isn't that a great word? Thoroughgoing sinfulness of all people. Their total inability to deal effectively with their own sin and the gracious provision. Isn't that good? The gracious provision through the death of Jesus Christ 
of a complete atonement. What's that mean? Complete atonement. In other words, he took care of it. Okay, he's, he's taken care of it. A complete atonement of sins to which persons respond, listen, listen, in simple trust or faith without any special claims or merit of their own. Huh. That is power-packed with meaning. Because, see, what it's trying to get us to see is you did nothing to deserve what God has done for you. <laughs> and that by faith, you can say, I want it, and God will give it to you because of his gracious provision in your life. Yeah. Oh, I just love that. I love that. I love that God has already done that for us. Yeah. I'm going to read a few scriptures to you as, as we kind of make this point even further. Listen to this in Galatians 3, 21 through 22. Is there any conflict then... And he's talking about any conflict between the law and God's promises. Or you might say the law and grace. Okay? He says, is there any conflict then between God's law and God's promises? No. He goes on to say, he says, absolutely not. Listen. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. Isn't that right? So in other words, if you obeyed all of God's law you then could be made right with God through obeying it, is what the scripture is saying. Now, I don't know about you, but have any of you ever lied? No? Am I the only one? Have any of you ever stolen anything? Like when I was a kid, I was like a klepto. I stole things all the time. I stole a pack of Tic Tacs from Target one time. And my mom literally made me go back in and give it back and talk to the manager about it. It was awful. It was awful. But guess what? I kept stealing. I'm just being honest. I kept stealing. I mean, and I'm sure that none of you were like me. You had it all figured out. I mean, the, I knew the law. I knew I shouldn't do it. But yet I kept doing it. I kept stealing and so why in the world couldn't I figure this out so see here's the thing that's what Paul is talking about is that sometimes what happens is we think that the law will save us if we'll keep all the rules it'll save us but the reality is is that's not true see God had a revelation that he was developing for all of us to see the law is important why why is the law important the law is important because it helps see helps us see the problem it points out to us the problem. It says, hey, lying's wrong. And you're like, oh, lying must be wrong. So you recognize the problem. You recognize that that's not a behavior you should do. So the law helps you see that. But you know what the law doesn't do? It doesn't help you fix it. See, the law is there to help us see the problem. And Jesus is there to help us solve the problem. <laughs> that is so good. In a nutshell, in a nutshell, the law shows us the problem and Jesus solves the problem. Yeah. Oh, I thank God for Jesus. He goes on to say, but the scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin 
So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. And so if you want freedom in your life, if you want redemption and justification, if you want to be free from your filthy rags, if you want to be able to say, I am righteous before a holy God, the only way that happens is by you saying yes to the offer of Jesus. By believing in faith that he has done what he has done for you. And what happens is you get, the Bible says, freedom. What do you get freedom from? Sin. Wait. Are, Pastor, are you saying that I'll never sin again? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that as you stand before a holy God because of what Jesus has done, the Bible says that you now are free from the sin that has entangled you all of your life. That's the inside work that God wants to do today. Now, as he begins to do that inside work, there's more to come. And we'll get to that in just a second. But I want to read something out of Acts 13. Listen to this in Acts 13, 39. Everyone who believes, right, or has faith in him is made right in God's sight. Something the law of Moses could never do. See, the law of Moses couldn't do that. It couldn't make you right with a holy God. It was temporary. It was there to show you the problem, not fix the problem. And then Romans 8, listen to this, Romans 8, 3 and 4. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So in other words, what he's saying is that it's not that the law was bad. It's not that the law had a problem. We had a problem. We are the ones with the issue. And now I know some of us in the room maybe have grown up in churches where that's all you heard, that you were the problem. And over and over and over again, you're a dirty rat, right? You're a dirty sinner and you need Jesus. And if you don't, you'll burn in hell for eternity, right? Some of us had that experience and you're like, you're having flashbacks right now. I don't want you to feel that way. I really don't. I just simply want you to, let me say it this way. I don't want you to be motivated by fear. I want you to be motivated by love. I want you to, for a moment, think about a God that was willing to give his own son because he loves you. And the Bible says that that love would compel you. It would compel you towards Jesus. Because you see what he did. And it would motivate you to be in relationship with him. Continuing here in verse 3. So God did what the law could not do. It's just right there. So God did. It doesn't say so you did. It says so God did. So God did what you couldn't do for yourself. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we have as sinners, yes? And that body, God declared an end. It's through that body that God declared an end to sin's control over us. Do you know that you can be free today? Let me go a step further and say, not just free in the sense of standing before God righteous, 
But you actually can overcome the sins that so easily entangle you today. See, that's the thing that you have to understand, is that it's not just some by and by in the sky eternal thing. It's actually now, too. That you have sin in your life right now that you can overcome because Jesus lives inside of you. That's the power that comes from knowing him. And so he, he goes on to say, he goes on to say, and he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful natures, but instead follow the spirit. And I just want to, for a moment, I want to draw something out for you that you probably will never see in a modern translation unless you go back to an older translation. But that word sinful nature, which is something that we hear all the time in the Bible, sinful nature, sinful nature, sinful nature. I'm not saying that that word isn't reasonable, but that word in the original Greek is the word sarx. Sarx means flesh. It means flesh. In other words, sinful flesh. And this is important because what happens with the word translated sinful nature is sometimes what happens is we actually start to believe that we're really kind of unredeemable because it's in our nature. In other words, it's how we were created. Friends, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in Genesis that when he made you, he made you in the image of God. He made you in the image of God. And so if you're made in the image of God and God is not sinful, then how in the world did you start sinful? See, the Bible says that you were made in the image of God. That means that, and, and matter of fact, he makes everything. He makes all the animals and all the trees and all the mountains and everything in the Bible, okay? And he gets to this place where he makes human beings, and instead of saying good, he says very good. So you were good when you were created. Now you've heard me say this. The gospel is simply this. The good news is simply this. It's good news, bad news, good news. You were created good, but we messed it up. But I thank God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that good could come back into my life and restore me back to Eden. See, some of us don't get this. And I, I know it's just a little nuance. But sometimes we sit and we look at ourselves and we say, I'll never be better. I'll never get over this. It's because it's my nature. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And yet Paul calls you a saint. When you say yes to Jesus. Do you notice that? Paul doesn't keep calling you a dirty rat. He calls you a saint. And some of us got to get that right because it's our thinking that's keeping us in bondage. It's our thinking that's keeping us in bondage. And so God, would you help somebody today see this reality? See, Wesley said it this way. He said, sin remains, but it no longer reigns. It's around. I could grab hold of it if I want to, but I don't have to. It doesn't have to reign in my life because the king reigns in my life. Because Jesus Christ reigns in my life. And if you've got Jesus Christ reigning in your life, I'm pretty sure you can deal with some sin. People of God, would you receive this? Romans 1, 7. The good news tells us how God makes right his, how he makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish. I love that, start to finish. God starts it and he finishes it. 
He's not like me. I start things and don't finish things. From start to finish by faith, as the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has what? Life. And Jesus says he wants you to have it what? Abundantly. Abundant life that comes through Jesus. Oh, man, this is so good. We could stop right there and do an altar call. And so that's what justification is. That's what it means to be justified. That's what it means to be new, the first new that comes from knowing God. And my heart for you today is if you don't know that, if you don't know that God, well, man, oh, man, you are here for a reason. God wants you to hear this word so that you can receive the new that comes from him. Now, I don't know about you, but I run into people all the time. Listen to me. I run into people all the time that struggle with their assurance of this. Do you know what I mean? Like, you just struggle. Like, am I really saved? Like, is, it, it, did it work? You know what I'm talking about? And I remember as a young man, as I grew, I mean, 14, probably like 19, I'm sitting in a worship service and, and the enemy is just beating me up. He's just beating me up for choices that I've made in my life, right? And at this time in my life, I was a youth pastor. I mean, I was pastoring people. And, and he was just whooping me and saying, hey, you remember all that stuff you did? Am I the only one? Do you remember what you, you go home sometimes and people remind you at home what you were like. Yeah? And what happens is that those voices get in our head and the enemy starts to mess with us. And the thing that we thought was real just seems not as real anymore. And so we go from feeling completely and 100% justified because of what God has done to believing that somehow because of what I've done, I'm no longer sure. And I just want to say to you today, if you're there, hear me. Jesus did it. For you. Like, you don't ever have to question it again. If you're not seeing the fruit or the results of that salvation, well, then talk to somebody. Because there might be something off. But that doesn't mean you're not saved. That doesn't mean you don't love God. That doesn't mean that you can't get better. It just simply means that the enemy's coming after you. And he's saying things to you that are helping you or actually hurting you and trying to get you to believe things about yourself that you shouldn't be believing about yourself. And you know what happens when that happens. You stop doing the things God has called you to do. And how many of us, come on, how many of us when we have a problem, we don't move towards God, we move away from him? In our pain, in our, in our shame, or, in our, in, in, or God's mad, or, or, you know, I'm going to get found out, or, you know, the secrets. We don't move towards the one that can help us because of our own shame and our own junk. And I just want to say to you today, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be assured of the salvation, not because of you, but because of him. It is a solid base that you can experience in your life. Amen? Amen. Okay. I know... Matter of fact, I'm going to have to stop. And I, I know, right? Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, please stop. Um, I didn't realize I was going to talk about justification that much. Um, so next week, next week we'll talk about sanctification. So you're going to have to come back for that, okay? You're going to have to come back for that. But just to kind of whet your appetite, what does that mean? Sanctification simply means this. It's the power to become more like Jesus. Okay? It's the power to become more like Jesus. 
And I suspect if you're a believer here today, or maybe Jesus has touched you this morning in some way, you might want to become like him. And so stay tuned for next week, because I believe God will speak to you about this in particular. But as we kind of get ready to close, clearly, I've, I've been talking about this as it relates to the first new. And I suspect that many of you in this room have experienced the first new, that you feel like you've been justified before God. You've, you've prayed the prayer and you've received Jesus as your Savior. But there may be some of you that haven't. And what I want to do today is I want to be able to offer a prayer for you. If you're here today and you would say, that's not me, or I'm questioning it, or I'm not sure, I want to be able to pray for you. And so, so what we're going to do is just for a moment, we're going to have some time of prayer. And I do want to say this. Over the last few weeks, when we've had this kind of portion of our service, I've seen hands going up all the time. Matter of fact, two weeks ago in the second service, I think I saw like 10 hands. 10 hands, guys, which is amazing. That means people are meeting Jesus. But, but I also want to say there's a step here that many of us need to take, and that's baptism. And so at the end of September, the, the last Sunday in September, we're going to have a baptism service. And so if you've given your life to Christ any time in the last year or whatever, and you need to take that step, I want you to get signed up for that. We'd love to come alongside you and be a part of that and celebrate that decision. And you say, Pastor, why do I need to do that? Well, it's important that you don't keep it inside, that you bring it outside. And part of bringing it outside is going public with your faith in a baptism. And so we'd love to help you uh, be a part of that. And so go ahead and get signed up for that. But, but I just want to spend a few minutes praying together. Can we do that? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that your word teaches us our need for you. And so I want to pray for two people here today, two groups of people. The first is the person that maybe would say that they've received Jesus. At some point you prayed the prayer or some camp somewhere or maybe on TV. I mean, whatever you did. You said the prayer, you know. You accepted Christ as your Savior. But today you would actually say that you're struggling with the assurance of that. And so I want to pray for you specifically. God, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the lies of the devil that are trying to confuse your kid. I bind them up and I cast them out in the name of Jesus. And through the strong blood of Jesus Christ, I pray that the assurance of their salvation would begin to fall on them right now. And that they would fully experience the assurance that comes from knowing what you did for them. God, I ask this to be true. And if this is you, just simply say to the Lord, Lord, I receive that right now. I will not walk out of here and not know that I know that I know. Now, when we hit the reset button of knowing God, to know something means we become new, the Bible says. And as we talked, clearly the Bible says that I can't do it without Jesus. Now, I know that you may or may not believe that, but that's what the Bible says. And I'm asking you 
to consider that. And the reason I'm asking you to consider that is because I, sus- I, I suspect you've tried to change. You've tried to do it on your own. You've tried to get better to no avail or maybe incremental. And I just want you to hear today <laughs> that Jesus solves the problem. And if you would simply receive it, the Bible says that he will come on the inside of you and begin to do the work that you can't do and the outside will begin to take care of itself. And so what I want to do is I want to offer a prayer for you. If you're here today and you'd say, I have never taken that step of faith. I've never put in my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God's one and only son. I would like to do that. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody's looking around. I just simply want to ask you today, would you like to take that step? And if you would, I want to be able to lead you in a prayer. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is a statement of faith today. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to simply raise up your hand. Nobody's looking around. It's just me. But I want to see you take that step of faith as you raise your hand, just boldly. If you're online, you can do the same thing wherever you are today. If you're in a coffee shop, if you're in your house, on your couch, I'd love to see you raise your hand as well. And you can indicate that even on the online platform. And so here we go. On the count of three, if you would desire to enter into a relationship with Jesus, I want you to lift that hand up. On the count of three. One, two, three. Go. Right now. Come on. I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Come on. This is your day. God doesn't promise us another day. God bless you. Okay, you can put your hands down. Church, we are all going to pray together. Nobody's praying alone in here, okay? And so what I want you to do is I want you to repeat this prayer after me. As a, as a sign and a surrender. There's nothing magical about it. It's just simply you saying in faith that this is what I want. And so let's pray together. And repeat these words. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. I can't save myself. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you set me free? I surrender to you. Come in and change me from the inside out. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those that are making decisions today? Come on, that's good. Praise God. We just worship him.